You're listening to the Weekend Collective Podcast from Newstalk ZB. It is Peter Dunn. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Tim. So, well, firstly, this um, Chippy having COVID, how much of a blow is it for Labour at this stage with two weeks to go to have their star off sick? It's a big blow because obviously there are a lot of big engagements planned. I mean, one of the, one of the first casualties I suspect is going to be the, the stuff leaders debate uh, on Tuesday night. That's going to fit right within the period. Now, they may reschedule it or they may have to put someone else in his place. But this, this was a chance for him to consolidate on the position that he advanced during the, the news, the TV3 um, debate last week. He won't have that now. So it's a big blow. Uh, but he, there is a bit of a silver cloud to all of this. The same thing happened to Anthony Albanese during the last Australian federal le- election campaign. Labour plummeted for a few days in the polls. But then when he was back on deck, it came through to win the election. So Hipkins might have something to cling to. Um, now, the 100-day plan as, as well, um, what do you think of announcing the 100-day plan before they've, they're into government? Uh, they've, they've got, among other things, banning gang patches. I don't think anyone's going to have a problem with that, making it work, I guess. Uh, making gang membership an aggravating factor at sentencing, stopping gang meetings in public and giving police powers to search for firearms is one of the things. What do you make of the 100-day plan that uh, Luxon's announced? I think it's quite a smart move because what it does is, as you say, set out an agenda for government, which means that for the next two weeks he can talk about that. But hopefully from his point of view, everyone else will be talking about it as well. So he set the agenda early, you know, that I am the Prime Minister in waiting, here's what the government in waiting that I'm going to lead is going to be all about. And if with Hipkins off the scene for a few days, it's a it's a an unfortunate but heaven sent opportunity for him to really lock in the perception that he is the man of the moment. The only problem with it all is there's a big shackle hanging around him now that he's imposed on himself, and that's called New Zealand First. Yeah, well, actually, well I guess we'll have to get on to Winston in a, in a moment. Uh, but that, just the whole thing about the ruling out, um, ruling in or ruling out. I editorialised earlier on uh, last week about it being unrealistic to be ruling people out because of a particular party you rule out has the balance of power. Then where are we to go from them? Back to the polls? Well, I think that's that's the issue. You know, you, when the parliament is elected, it's over to the politicians to make the numbers that have, that, that have been delivered work. Uh, no one would want to go back to the election to the electorate again. If that was the only alternative, then you'd want to frame it in such a way that your party wasn't the one to blame. So, you know, whether Hipkins, is, well, sorry, sorry, whether Luxon is thinking uh, New Zealand first, last cab off the rank, I'll talk to them if they have if I have to. Uh, no one else can form a government but me because of the way the other numbers have fallen. Uh, and if they won't play ball, I'll have the, hold the threat of a fresh election over them, at which they'll be punished. It's a bit of a long bow, but he may be thinking that. I think no one would tolerate a fresh election being called. So the incentives on the parties to make it work are pretty high. I get. I guess that's why it's it's sort of like a piece of rhetoric to rule someone out. Whereas you know that if they hold the balance of power, then everyone's going to be talking, aren't they? Well, yeah, and the question then becomes, so what's the nature of the arrangement you enter into? Um, Hipkins seems, sorry, I don't know why I'm fixated on Hipkins. Luxon seems to be um, <laughs> not keen to have a formal coalition. Yeah. Uh, but New Zealand first, desperately keen to be in a coalition. I mean, in that infamous interview we're going to talk about shortly, Peter's hinting he wanted to be Minister of Broadcasting. So, so I think there's a tension there as to what the nature, nature of the relationship will be. I don't think New Zealand first, by history and by sort of, compo- you know, it's, it's general demeanour, is going to want to play third string behind ACT and National. It's going to want to be centre stage, as it always has been, controlling things the way it wants and bringing MMP into disrepute as a consequence. (sighs) 
Blimey. Uh, we'll get on to that in a moment. Um, I just want to touch on other things. Of course, the Green Party have released their fiscal plan as well. All these fiscal mm. plans, I can't keep up. Are you, are you? Do you find it easy to keep up with this stuff? Or is it, uh, in, in, in the end, it's just sort of like swatting flies. You manage to grab a morsel of information here and a morsel of information there. It's a bit of the latter because you, you look at all these things and think that no one uh, is going to be able to implement them in their entirety. Everyone's going to be part of some sort of a governing arrangement, so there will have to be compromises, and some of the pet things of one party will have to be sacrificed to make way for the pet things of another. So to some extent, they're putting out their lists right now of what they're going to do. Uh, they're more like wish lists than firm plans. But as I say, from Luxon's perspective, this is quite a good move because it does sort of cement in that feeling that there's change coming and here's what the new government's going to be about. For the others, I think it's a little bit of a wish list game. I, well, getting onto the wish list again, the Green Party, they've released their fiscal plan, as I mentioned, including their um, infamous wealth, wealth tax uh, and talking about how much money they can raise, etc. Um, the problem is for the Greens is that every policy they've announced, when you say, how are you going to pay for it? And they say, well, it's going to be paid for by our wealth tax. I'm not sure. I, I don't know. Was that a mistake to hinge anyth- everything to a wealth tax, which is just not going to happen? I'd like to see their, their calculations in detail because, frankly, there are not enough wealthy people in New Zealand to pay the wealth tax for all the things that they're proposing. Uh, but it's a convenient way out. They know in their heart of hearts it's not going to happen because uh, Labor's ruled it out and Labor would be in a very awkward position if it got to form a government and had to concede to both to Party Māori and the Greens on the wealth tax having been so vehement it's not going to happen. That would destroy their credibility. So I think they can sort of promise this thing um, almost like several times over, knowing it's never going to happen. But but it's it's a good sort of sort of reverse envy thing in a way because you've got polls saying at the moment overwhelming majority of people favour wealth taxes and higher taxes on the rich. So they pander to that by saying, you know, we'll fund all these good things that you want out of the wealth tax. People quite like that, even though the practical chances of it being implemented are close to zero. Okay. Um, let's get on to that interview with uh, Winston today. Uh, I, I, I watched it not long before I came on air, and it sort of took my breath away um, because I think it was Winston at his... Um, that is worst. Look, I'll, look I'll, we'll play a clip uh, from it right now, Peter. Just stand by. Uh, this is uh, one, one little tidbit from the Q&A interview, Jack Tame with Winston Peters. Hey, Winston, why did you bother it's, coming today? And I'm going to say, well, I Mr. stopped Peters, we're I gonna, democracy, we're gonna... democracy's about hearing both sides of the story, not hearing arrogant, jumped up, overpaid people think they know more about this country. Mr. Peters, you... You have Thank railed you, against co governance Thank you, Jack. You just made a hopeless case here. You've, it's a good you've, case. You've railed for against co governance For us to make sure we get the broadcasting portfolio after this election. Is that a threat, Mr. Peters? <laughs> no, it's not a threat. It's a promise that you're going to be, have an operation that's much more improved than what it is now. It's you, just an idea. Thank you for your time. Good luck in the campaign. <laughs> yeah, well, I believe that, Jack, like I believe half the other bulldust you just said. New Zealand First Leader Winston Peters. After the break, it's not that long. Well, there, there it is, Peter. Um, look, actually, that's it probably pales in comparison to some of the things he also said where he accused Jack Tame and TVNZ of corruption. Um, it was classic attack the messenger sort of stuff. I'm not sure it did him any favours with anyone other than his really hardcore base. Yeah, and it's exactly the same tone that he that he employed on uh, New Sub Nation yesterday morning with Rebecca Wright. He called her arrogant, elitist and ignorant. So it's just very much... Um, 
It is appealing to the base, but, but, but what struck me about both those interviews, just the clips I saw of them, was the old spring in the step is back. He knows that Luxon's played him back into the game, and he's going to play it now for all it's worth, because as he said, there won't be a government formed without New Zealand first. Now, that would have the shivers going up the spine of most New Zealanders, but for his hardcore supporters, that's exactly what they want, and that's all he cares about. Well, I, I guess for the hardcore supporters, but of course, he wants to increase his vote. And those hardcore supporters are locked in maybe, I don't know, around 4 or 5%, depending on which poll you, you believe. But to me, like, okay, I'll put it into context, long-winded question, I apologise, Peter. I hosted a political debate um, a, a week or so ago with Winston, Seymour, Chloe, and um, Andrew Little and Paul Goldsmith. And it was good-natured. And Winston was on form because he spoke clearly about what he stood for. He didn't get angry with anyone. And I thought, I can see why he's out on the hustings, because when he's on form, he's he's a good speaker. And then I saw him this morning, and I thought anyone who had been would have been tempted to maybe gravitate his way, I would have thought would be turned off uh, significantly. Well, I think there will be people who, who will be turned off, those sort of people. That, and other people, in a way, that, that Luxon was aiming at when he made his comment that he'd call Peter only if he had to. I think he was trying to sort of shock those people into thinking, my God, that's the last thing we want. We'd better vote national. Those people he may well turn off. But that hardcore, which is, you know, about 5%, and that would give him six seats in Parliament, and on the current figures, the balance of power, they'll be saying, right on, Winston, you put these young whippersnappers in their place. You tell them, you know, you don't take any nonsense, all this sort of stuff. And that's all he's playing to. And the what? fact that he, you know, he talks about being treasurer. Well, he was treasurer 27 years ago. That doesn't necessarily mean he understands the economy of today. Oh, well. Um, hey, early voting. Is there anything? Oh, we obviously, the people will be deciding whether they're going to head to the polls early or not. Do we learn anything from the turn, from what it means for the result of the election, depending on the numbers with early voting? Well, the last election, 48% of us voted early. Um, my understanding is that the Electoral Commission is expecting that number to go up significantly this time. In other words, most people will vote before election day. If that's the case, then it makes the last couple of weeks of the campaign a little bit redundant because most people will, will have already made the decision and will be turning off. Mm. But it does raise some big questions. We've got, for instance, very strict rules about advertising on election day. You can't have billboards up. You can't have all this other stuff going on. You can't be as a candidate yeah. with you know, it's so much distance of a polling booth. And yet you go into vote tomorrow morning, none of that applies. So I think there's going to have to be, after the election, when they do the review, some look at how you handle those last two weeks of early voting mm. in terms of the restraints, particularly if the numbers of people voting early continues to increase. Uh, actually, just out of curiosity, do you vote early? I did last election. I haven't decided this election um, whether to vote early or later. It will just depend on convenience. And I think for a lot of people, that's the key. Some of them get to the point of saying, I've made my mind up. What's the point in delaying this decision any longer? Others think, oh, it could be a nice weekend. I'll be away, so I'll go and vote early. All sorts of reasons. Yeah. The, the important point is most people are taking advantage of it. Actually, it's funny. I remember last year, and I think this year I've said the same thing. Nostalgically, I like to vote on Election Day. But what will happen, as it happened last time, as I drove past the local church, the the, the ballot was open. I thought, oh, look, I'm just going to do it now. <laughs> Take it out yeah. of the way. The other yeah, one... The, if hmm? you've made your mind up as to what you're going to do, hmm. you know, there's a very strong argument. So why delay? Why not just get it over with and then you can enjoy the rest of the, <laughs> the, rest of the time? Actually, I've got a theory about that Saturday, the election day, how they have to... Basically, there's no political advocacy or imagery. or it, I've got a theory about why they'll keep it just for the day. 
is it's a great way to make sure that the streets are cleaned up and you get all the rid of those. It's, you know, I think it's totally pragmatic. All those yep. billboards which are polluting every street corner you can come to, mm. they've got to be gone, and I just think that's why they'll keep that rule. Yeah, and in any case, I'm, I've never been persuaded that billboards and all this other paraphernalia does much to influence voters. All it does is reinforce the notion mm. there's an election going on and maybe yeah. a bit of candidate identification. But I've never heard of anyone that voted for any candidate on the basis of a billboard. Excellent. Hey, hey Peter, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate your insight. Thanks, Tim. Cheers. Good on you. That is Peter Dunn, a former United Future leader. For more from the Weekend Collective, listen live to News Talk ZB weekends from 3 p.m. or follow the podcast on iHeartRadio. 90% of parenting is just thinking about when you can have a break. And when you do take a break, enjoy the Parenting Hangover podcast. They go together like a tutu and jandals. We've said from the get-go, we ain't parenting experts. No. But it's cool to hear, what is your neighbour doing? What do they say? A problem shared is a problem halved. Oh, that's good. Not that my children are problems, but I feel better talking about it. The Parenting Hangover with Clinton Jordan. New episodes every Thursday on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts.